0: It's you as a child without limitations, without restrictions. So maybe think back to that. And I also think, like, just think about what has brought you joy. I also think today, you know, this is something else. You don't have to figure out your passion right away. I don't think your career has to be your purpose, basically. Like, I think it's lovely if it is. And I think, you know, you could have one career and then, like, totally pivot and have a third act.
1: how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately, how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Karine Eldor. Karine is a senior contributor for Forbes, where she regularly features female founders that deeply inspire her. Her criteria is that anyone that she features must have both impact and integrity. She has also been published in Teen Vogue, Condé Nast Traveler, Create and Cultivate, and Covetour. Corrine is fueled by female empowerment and self-expression. And her regular Forbes column has earned the reputation as a platform for interviews of game-changing female founders and impactful career advice with women that range from the likes of Kim Kardashian West to Hillary Kerr to Cleo Wade and so many other incredibly inspiring women. And as a mother of two young girls, her goal is to show her daughters that anything is possible and that women are multifaceted. On today's episode, we touch on her career journey and how she landed her first editorial job, how to break into the editorial space, how you don't need to live in a city like New York to have a successful career in writing, a step-by-step guide on how to pitch a story, and most importantly, the power of voice. So with that, let's get into this week's episode with Kareen Eldor. We are here with Corinne Aldor. She is a writer and one of my favorite interviewers of all time. And I'm so excited to be interviewing you because you've interviewed some of my favorite people, some of my favorite founders in life. So I just feel so honored that I get to ask you the questions and get to the bottom of who you are. So thank you so much for being on the podcast.
0: Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, It's crazy. I feel I've said this to you before that even when we met the first time, like it felt as if we had known each other for years already. So. I feel that's so hard with you. Like yes. I, the first,
1: literally the first time, where, where was it? It was at Dr. Smood. Dr. Smood. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, literally our souls met in a different time for sure.
0: Yeah. But, and that doesn't
1: happen to me with a lot of people.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so honored. Thank you. And I'm so, um, I'm like excited that the tables are turned. Like, Yeah. I was going to ask you like how, like,
1: Do you feel uncomfortable in that, in that someone's asking you the questions? Like, it's obviously not what you're used to. But do you feel like when you interview people, then you do you ever think introspectively what you would have responded to those questions?
0: Yeah, I do, actually, because I think the questions I ask, like, resonate with me. Like, Mm -hmm. they're very, um, they're like, on brand with me or resonate with me. So it's what I naturally think to ask them, but from, but I want to hear their point of view. So I always start the podcast by asking, what were you like as a kid that you remember? Um,
1: Because like I mentioned before, when I have people on this podcast, it's really people that I genuinely think are living their active ingredient, living their purpose, or have found the thing that makes them happy. And I have seen a common thread of everyone kind of reverting back to what they were like as kids. So I would love to hear from you if you think that that's true for you. And also, what were you like as a kid?
0: Yeah. So it's so crazy because before... Um, I never thought about that link. And now you saying that, like, gives me goosebumps and gives me all the feels because I think there's definitely a tie between how I was as a child. So um, funny enough, I was, like, kind of mute as a kid, like, really? super shy, um, very introverted, shy, always kind of, like, kind of writing for fun. Like, I would just, like... DIY books or, like, kind of just, like, write, um, just, like, write really for fun, like, but I'm saying even as, like, an eight-year-old. Wow. And just, like, write, write, write and get into my own world. But I think I always felt comfortable with friends and family, but I was very much, like, the wallflower. And I'll never forget, I was even at my best friend's house once. Like, I came home after school and The parents – didn't. no one even knew I was there. Like, I was literally (laughs) just, like, in my friend's room, but, like, for hours. And my friend wasn't even there, but I was just kind of, like – because it was on my way home from school. Like, I would take the bus, Mm -hmm. and I would would go there, and then my parents would pick me up from her house. And I remember they were like, you've been here for, like, (laughs) four hours, and no one even knew. So it's just funny. Like, I I was never someone that took up space, and I never – like, I don't know, made made waves in a way. Like I was just like very, you know, very quiet and shy. Um and then, you know, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna have a spoiler alert, but this definitely ties into to what my active ingredients is.
1: So at what point, I mean, you were doing this for fun as a kid, but at what point did you think that you can make a career out of it? And were your parents like that too? Were they writers? Like, I feel like that's, that's so cool. That's so innate to you, but I want to get an understanding of where it comes from and, and how you figured out that you can actually make a life out of it.
0: So, um, no, so my parents, um, not writers, but my mom is in fact she's a fashion designer and um my dad was in fashion as well so i've always been like very much surrounded by by fashion and other designers and very much like a diverse diverse crowd so i was always like super dialed into like people expressing themselves through fashion so that kind of tied into creativity. Like they're, they're very creative. And my my aunt is an interior designer. So I just grew up very much, I guess, in a creative home, but no one was a writer. And I literally knew. So in those books that I would like create or DIY, I remember I even found one recently where I had written like my about us, like I had written like about the author and this gives me chills, but it, it said it said Eldor is ten years old. Um, this is her first published book, but but she plans on plan on publishing many more.
1: I, that's the cutest. I wanna see. Do you have a picture of that? Yeah, yeah,
0: I do. Oh my god. Yeah. We need
1: to we need to post it when this
0: goes live. Yeah. No, that's it's so amazing. It's so crazy. Like Talk about vision boarding. Manifesting met- from 8, 10 years old. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. No, no. It's insane. Like, I'm so happy that I found it. Anyway, it's like a little, like, me in my school uniform You need to print shot. that
1: and, like, have that in something where you see yeah. it every single day. That's incredible. Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: And also, I wanted to say, it was funny, um, even before kind of, like, the sex in the city Carrie Brad- Bradshaw cliche, um, I always... In the 90s, I resonated with Murphy Brown. I don't know that is. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So it was Candace Bergen played a TV journalist. And I remember – anyway, this was like very 90s. And I always said I want to be like Murphy Brown, like in journalism. And then – so I kind of always knew that I wanted to write for magazines or be in like the editorial or media world. But I wasn't 100% sure in what channel – or in what division. I just knew that was, like, the main industry I wanted to be in. So
1: Carrie Bradshaw was also an inspiration to you. Were there any other existing editors or people that were actually working in that that you were looking up to at the time instead of, like, fictional characters?
0: So that's the thing that, like, Carrie, I feel like, you know, everybody would always say, oh, like... What you're doing is so Carrie Bradshaw because I would write, like, dating advice for AskMen.com, which was actually yeah. my first job. So um, so I was always, like, writing dating advice under an alias named Heidi, actually, which is oh funny. Um, <laughs> that's, like, a whole other thing. Um, but in terms of not specific journalists, um, actually, actually Fran Lebowitz. I'm, like, still obsessed with her, like, her whole style and vibe. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that also, like, the common thread is New York. Like, I love the unapologetic fierceness of, like, being a New Yorker in that whole that whole world. Mm-hmm. So Fran, yeah, so Fran Lebowitz, like, definitely, like, if I ever met her, yeah. I would be thrilled. And then, you know, also this was, like, in 2000 that I started, I was looking for jobs. So I just kind of always knew I wanted to write for, like, either GQ or in style or Vogue. Okay. So then what were your first jobs, askmen.com? And then what
1: was your career trajectory in the beginning? Like, how did you get your first foot in the door with writing?
0: So, okay. So, like, first job, job. Okay. So when I graduated college, so I went to Concordia University. So they have, like, um, it's a specialized communications program. So it's, like, very, very specialized. Like, it's, I guess, harder to get into. But you do all different facets of communications. And I remember this is – again, this was like 99. So, you know – I like to say, like, the Apple computers at the time were the, like, turquoise ones. I remember this. They look like There's a place candy. in Miami that has, like, an arepa.
1: It's an arepa restaurant or, like, a fast casual, I guess, um, called Don Pan. And they had three of those. It was orange. Three mm-hmm. orange, massive-ass apples. And I just – I totally forgot about them until now.
0: <laughs> exactly. So I just
1: remember it was, like, that it turquoise. It was so bad and it wasn't – it wouldn't work and, like, everything would get stuck. Yeah. How far we've come. Oh, my God. No, like... (laughs) We have four... How many? Yeah, we have four Apple products on our table right now. (laughs)
0: Hashtag not sponsored. (laughs) Not sponsored. (laughs) Okay. So when I... I remember just being super anxious, like, in 99, um, because that was the year I was graduating. And I gave my... Well, first of all, I I remember everybody would ask me, like, what are you doing with the communications degree? So I did communications with a specialization in journalism. So everyone would ask me that and I literally would say whatever I want. But I mean, inside I was pretty anxious because this is also pre digital, like right. pre-digital world. Pre I mean, there was the internet, but like there wasn't that much information on how to make that actually happen. No. Right. And like there weren't as many like options out there. Mm-hmm. And it was also no and it was like very social exclusive. media. It was very exclusive Exactly. For sure, to break in. A hundred percent. Like now it's so democratized mm-hmm. and like, right. Everyone
1: is kind of a writer in, in some way or another, whether it be exactly. through social or YouTube blogging or actually writing on their blog, you know, like now anyone can kind of write quote unquote.
0: But yeah, that must have been super hard to figure out how you're going to Yeah, again, I, I remember like, yeah, I just, I kind of felt like I was so wide eyed. I just knew some, that I would make something happen, like I was super optimistic, but also definitely inside nervous that I wasn't taking, you know, a traditional career trajectory mm-hmm. of like doctor or you know, like right. something, something more that was stable, gonna, right. basically. So then I remember, I, I mean, I got really lucky, but it's a great kind of tip for college grads. I just I brought my my resume to the career and placement service at at my college. And which we call university in Canada. Okay. <laughs> but um anyway, so I brought my my resume and the founders of Ask Men were they were basically looking for editors. So they got my they got my resume from from there. They called me up. But I mean, like at the time, like, you know, like Amazon was still new. I remember like pet.com was big. This is like you know, it was ICQ still, like, it was like a completely different era. So I remember when I went for my interview with the founders of AskMen, I asked them if, um, you know, is this a career or is this like more of a hobby for you guys? And they were like, no, 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 like, this is a legit business. But you know, like, this was a completely different mm-hmm. time. And um, I remember also, like, when i would tell people that i was working at Ask Men, they were always like askmen <laughs> like like and then then it became to be huge. clear for listeners it's ask,
1: ask yeah exactly the question, askmen.com
0: <laughs> and it was definitely you know at the like they were pioneers like they were like og digital. men's mm-hmm. editorial digital exactly so anyway that was an amazing experience um so it was just like the perfect way to kind of get my foot in the door in terms of yeah. editorial and I kind—I said to myself, you know what? After a few years, maybe I'll, you know, work like get a get GQ or like I said in mm-hmm. Style. Um, but I knew that at the time I didn't appreciate this. But now looking back, I realize, um, like I was—I was, I was do- publishing all the stuff on Ask Men, so like I was doing it through kind of like, it's like a WordPress. So it's mm-hmm. like web edit. So I automatically knew how to use like HTML. I understood SEO. So all the tools. So I, ahead of your time. Yeah. Like all that Those stuff. Those are that's, skill sets that any publisher, any outlet needs in all of their writers or yeah. anyone on their team. A hundred percent. So valuable. Yeah. Amazing. So yeah. So I understood like how to do that. Yeah. Just that skill at the time. And it's served me so well today just in terms of like keyword optimization. Yeah. Not to geek out, but like. No, it's important. Yeah. So for
1: your career journey, have you been digital the whole way?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to be print. At you you some, do still? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely. For the nostalgia or because you think, do you think of it a different way? Kind of. I mean, I think. Okay. So with digital, I love that. I feel like um, it's so accessible, right? Like. And it's current. It's current. It's accessible. Language has changed so much. Like my my tone of voice is more digital in a way, mm-hmm. I find, because um, it's more like it's lighter. But there's still, I still love print. I still, I buy books. I don't download them. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I mean, I miss the days of, like, going to, like, the magazine store or, like, you know, any bookstore and literally buying, you know, all the September issues or all the March issues. Mm -hmm. Like, I – you know, like, there's that era of, like – I remember in 2000, it was, like, Renee Zellweger on the cover of In Style and it was so heavy. The book was so, so heavy and I just – I don't know. I always got like such a thrill from like getting those big like mm-hmm. fashion, you know, like the September and March moments, like yeah. the new season moments. Anyway, so I I love print. Do you think like from your perspective, being
1: in the inns of media, do you think I know everyone, if you talk to literally anyone, they'll say print is dead. But I wonder from your perspective, if you think it's going to make a resurgence in a different way. Like I, I personally think that It may come back in a more immediate way. Like the three-month lead time is dead for sure. Like Yes, 100%. We're we're consuming too fast for that to be the case. But do you think that there is hope for some format of print or tangible in media that will continue to –
0: Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean um, even how – like there's brands that come out with their own kind Mm -hmm. of – you know, like Porter – or like net porte and yeah. porter and um what's it, broccoli yeah the, right the the, CBD fem- the cannabis yeah um so I think there's still like yeah I definitely think print is still revered and I I do think that it's I mean there's definitely still like like for me it's definitely a goal to be in print there's just this cachet yeah of like seeing your byline in a print magazine. And I think there's so much beauty, beauty in print. Although now I'm thinking just from actually an environmental standpoint that, you know, where we are today, maybe So true. Yeah, like I actually I'm just thinking about that now, but but I still I do love tangible. And I also like to like bookmark stuff. Yeah. And dog ear and post it all over my books. So yeah.
1: I really do wonder like if the pendulum's gonna swing back and it's gonna come back in a different way, but still be a thing
0: yeah maybe it'll just be less um like more quarterly or something yeah instead of monthly yeah so but yeah i definitely think um everything old becomes new again right that's why that's why i it it, it's had such an impact on so many people's lives for so long
1: that obviously digital is a different way for that to kind of still live but i just wonder you know i'm curious to see what happens in the space So I want you to walk us through quickly mm-hmm. what your career
0: coms have been to date. My career what, milestones? Your dot-com. Like, so you were Ask Men, then where else? Oh, okay, okay. So Ask Men. Then I went – okay, then I went to the corporate world for a bit because fashion was always, like, a value that, you know, having grown up in fashion. So I went um, – worked in marketing at a at a big fashion retailer. Oh, like who? A, at Aldo. Oh my God. What? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there for years and actually this ties into New York because I always wanted to live in New York. I always felt that, and this is still the case, that Aldo is, it's the closest to New York you can get in Montreal. Like it is super diverse. It's been inclusive from day one. Um, It's everybody just, you know, like with tattoos and piercings (laughs) and like... You feel like you're in a Brooklyn garage or something. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I just, I love it. And I loved working in that environment. But this is like, again, this was in 2005. So I always, that's always what fueled me Mm and just being around like artists and creatives. So yeah, so I did that for a few years at Aldo. And I I actually went back there a second time, uh, but doing social media and copywriting specifically. So Aldo was a big moment. And it was also my first pivot from editorial to marketing. So it was like a completely different realm. Did anything that you learned from Askman help with that role? And if so, what were those things? Yeah, definitely. Just like working super fast, like, I mean, multitasking sounds very obvious, but like being super agile and having to switch gears like all day um, and kind of like, you know, planning for the best, but like, yeah, hoping for the best, but being able to to adjust right. when needed. And also, I mean, at AskMen, I was, like, managing freelancers as well. So just kind of managing projects. And and also I was writing a lot about, about fashion at AskMen too. So I was literally doing dating and fashion. So, like, I just feel that my innate, I guess, love for fashion, like, made it easier to grasp, right? right? like an, I also
1: our, think that, like, having worked in – digital before taking that role and like knowing what readers click on mm-hmm. and knowing how to position things would help you kind of circumvent the system from a marketing perspective and just know what outlets want to write about, you know, or like totally. how or how they would consume it and regurgitate yeah. it back to their readers,
0: you know? Yeah, that 100%. And also, honestly, just like having writing as a skill set, my my boss is just super appreciated so much. So I was just I was very good at writing like press releases when needed. Like I would help the PR team, like you said. Or I would um write like corporate brochures for the brand I was working on. So just like having writing as a skill set, like was was a very good asset in marketing okay. for sure. So yeah, so that was Aldo in the corporate world. And then then I did another more Canadian like more local fashion retailer, then tried freelance I, for the first time. And how did that transition go? Like, did you have savings? How did how did you make that decision? So the first time I feel was almost a test run. It I went back to Aldo after, <laughs> but it so funny enough, it was actually I had taken on a gig. Um, it was a, a contract role to be like a sales rep for the Canadian version of daily candy so again this was like very ahead of its time mm-hmm. this was like 2007 wow or t- yeah something like that and um, so did that and honestly after like six months I felt you know what I want to go back to like um a team feeling mm-hmm. like more of like a collaborative place. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Aldo and it was um, it was perfect. I went like at that point um, there was more more focus on digital. So and and copywriting. So I went back and like after 6 months and kind of went to a whole new department. So it was e-com Amazing. and copywriting. And So you were um, able to kind of marry those two things and and you were full-time there when you went back? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I went back full-time. So that was great. Then I was there for okay, so I was there for a few years. While I was there, that's when I, I got my first kind of freelance writing role or gig, which was for Monster, mm. which is very funny because that ties into kind of what I'm doing now, yeah. In a way, so it was for Monster. I was writing career advice articles. Um, Love. Did they approach it. you, or how did that? Come yeah. Out? Okay. Yeah, they approached me because they liked my work at Ask Men. Like they were following my articles at Ask Man. So I was writing career advice and it was actually a really – because I was doing fashion, it was kind of a good – it was like I never thought I would be writing career advice and things that are more in the business world Mm -hmm. or corporate world. But I discovered that I loved writing those, those types of articles and giving advice and like kind of leaving impact, let's say. So it kind of happened to you like you weren't seeking out to do that. Yeah. It yeah. kind of came my way and I was like, oh, you know what? This is something I could definitely try. So I was doing, pumping out, let's say two articles a month for Monster. And I did that while I was at Aldo, like I said, like mm-hmm. so monthly. And I was actually super transparent with my managers that I was doing it. And I said, I'll never, like there's no conflict of interest mm-hmm. basically. So they're they're very open about Yeah, you know, pursuing side hustles. It was all good. So I did that for a few years. And then when I left – and then I got actually another contract role um, creating content for a Brooklyn-based agency uh, called 818. Um, I'm still close with them and I was doing – so I was doing content for them as well. So between Monster and that contract, I started to feel like I had enough of like security or a safety – safety net to go out on my own at this point. Like I felt there was enough of a cushion, Mm -hmm. which I feel if someone were to do that and like pursue their side hustle full time, -time. yeah, I definitely recommend that. Um, And of course, also leave your current workplace on good terms so that like, you know, they can become a client, which they have. So so that's been great too. So I had enough like cushion- and I knew I was, like, going into the freelance world with those gigs, like, with those contracts. And so, then – Okay. Oh, no, no, keep going. Oh, sorry. The first – then the first kind of, like, break was um, – my first non-monster type of article was Create and Cultivate. Oh, my God. I had no idea that, that was your first step. Yeah. So that was, like, the first kind of, like – you know, f- female-focused. Yeah, what was Create and Cultivate when you started
1: working with them? Because I feel like it has evolved so much since she launched. Yeah. I mean, career obviously being at the center. But, like, the podcast is now, you know, like, what was Create and Cultivate at the
0: time? Um, so, I mean, I they still have this, but it was super focused on, like, the rich blog, like, rich editorial content. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved, like, it was a bit, like... What's the word? Um, not mischievous, like just super witty and dialed in. And I've I've also always been, side note, I've always been obsessed with pop culture. Mm-hmm. So having like like just following pop culture served me very well to write for Create and cultivate because they're always have they always have the pop culture references, mm-hmm. which I mean most media have today. Um, but I remember just wanting to attend the conference so badly and wanting to write for them so badly. So I literally just pitched the – I pitched the editor. And it helped that I was coming from Aldo because mm-hmm. obviously that's like a very global brand that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I I had that on, on my resume and sent her two ideas – like two pitches. And she was like, great, can you get this one out for – in two, like – whatever, in 2 weeks. And that I remember I was so the moment that that article came out it was it was about it was how to induce how to self promote how to be a shameless self promoter without inducing eye rolls. I need to read that personally. <laughs> and honestly, it's so cra- it's so crazy that like they still I still see them reposting it. Like, I still see them sharing it on their social. I want to hear how you pitched
1: yourself because I feel like a lot of people listening, like, may be interested in doing this as a side gig to test out to see if Mm -hmm. it
0: lands. What advice would you give to someone who's looking to pitch to write? So for sure, I would say, like, consume – sounds super obvious, but I don't think people do this. It's not obvious. (laughs) No, but, like – so this comes very, like – this comes naturally to me in a way or instinctively. But become obsessed with – the brand or publication you want to write for and the person, like the, you know, the editor or founder, whoever you're following on social. So in the case of Create and Cultivate, like I knew, you know, my pitch was um, like super friendly and obviously Mm -hmm. conversational, but like I referenced my favorite articles from the platform you know, made reference to, I think it was a conference that had just passed. So made reference to the fact that, you know, like that I saw, I saw the posts on social, mm-hmm. it looked so awesome. So really just like make it so clear that you know the brand inside out and that you you have the essence of the brand in your writing. Like, you know, so if if the brand is a bit more cheeky, or like we'll use emojis. Let's say, mm-hmm. feel free to do that too. Like you have to make sure it's like mimic it's, what it is that they do to see if it's a fit. Is that what you're saying? Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like you just want to make sure your tone of voice and what you're writing um, is a reflection and on brand with what who you're writing who you're pitching to. What if they don't have samples? Like what if they've never written
1: or been published in anything, and this is their first kind of entry point? What would you recommend they do?
0: Yeah, so a lot of people ask me that. I would say, okay, so if you've never been published, I would just say, you know, either self-publish on Medium, mm-hmm. just so at least at least people can see your your writing style. Um, so self-publish on Medium or any blog. But at least with Medium, you might get, like, some traction mm-hmm. um, or any blog posts that you have yourself. Or even, like, today, I mean, someone could get an essence of your of your writing style on, like, Instagram captions, right? Yeah. So you could kind of explain that you're – whether you work full-time or you're a full-time student, you haven't been published yet, but you hope to write for yeah. these publications. These are your ideas. Um, so I think – you know, if there's any way, any any way you can show your writing style, I think that's fine. But also, just re- look when I pitched to Create and Cultivate. I mean, I was showing them monster articles, like right, kind of not the you know not the same tone of voice at all, right? Like Monster's a bit more like stiff mm-hmm. or corporate. So and it writes and it the audience is men as well. So not the, not the same tone but i remember like that the editor and editor in chief at the time i just i'm so grateful to her because like she said yes and that yes like cat, was the catalyst to all the others so, so you know what it, came after that so um okay and then so after that came coveter because i had so literally that's something you know I had mentioned to you that I, I live by this, and just the concept of it takes one yes. So if you just keep pitching and pitching, that one person who's gonna say yes will lead to other gigs, will lead to other will open so many doors. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I would always keep that in mind to people who are pitching in any sense, whether it's a job, job opportunity or writing, writing gig or contract. Yeah. Um, So that let, because I had create and cultivate under my belt, I had the samples in my portfolio, let's say to, to pitch to Coveteur. So also it helped again that I was coming. (laughs) Well, also, and Canadian and also Aldo, like, like all these, all these publications are kind of like on brand with Aldo. Right. Right. So, um, so that helped for sure. So, Covateur was that was huge. That was like one of my biggest, biggest goals. When I had left, when I had left Aldo, I was like, I need to write to Coveter, for Covateur. So that came. And then Covateur led to Teen Vogue, which at, so this was like this is a few years ago. And I remember Teen, it was like when it was Elaine Walt, Walter Roth and Phil Amazing. Picardi. So you know, this is also an example of how to pitch, but I said to myself, I basically – I think focus is also very important. So if you're a writer wanting to pitch, like write down like the two or three publications that are your your goals, let's say, mm-hmm. for the year. And just like focus, like, you know, almost like – it's almost like a vision board or yeah. you end up manifesting it. But if everything you, you want, everything you work on, view it as being able to lead to – those goals, basically, like, what can you write or where else can you write that can lead to the big ones that you're after? So Teen Vogue was like, okay, I need to write for Teen Vogue. So I was following, I mean, again, like, consuming the content obsessively in all channels, you know, and then I also followed Philip Picardi on Instagram. So I think also when you're pitching, and this is something I did, you know, show that you, that you authentically follow what they're doing. So it was, I think Fashion Week had just ended. So I ref- in my pitch to him, I referenced something like, you must be super tired from Fashion Week, but hope, you know, hope this email finds you well. And he had posted about RMS highlighter mm-hmm. that he loves to use. So I said, I said, I, I also, I'm a huge fan of the R- RMS eye highlighter, mm-hmm. you know, Humanizing it. Yeah, exactly. Like I was like speaking with him as if he's, yeah, like a friend, but obviously professional, but just showing that I pay attention to the details. And that you guys have a common denominator. Exactly. And then also, just a tip, of course, on Twitter, you can find all the editors' email addresses. Such a good tip. So, so that's how I got his email. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a lot of like investigative... Forensics, right. I guess, but like you can always dig up people's emails and and figure it out. And also, once you know the formula of their of the of the places email, so exactly if it's like at Condé Nast or at whatever Hearst or whatever, yeah. exactly. So um, yeah, so emailed him and he replied to me right away, and I was like, oh my, god, like I was like fangirling like crazy that he replied. <laughs> like I was like – like literally I need to print that and put that in like a future book or something because yeah. that – but – um. so he connected me with Hannah Howard. She was like the career editor at the time and I ended up writing uh, two pieces but they were like huge, huge – like I was freaking out that I was published in Teen Vogue. Like That's incredible. Thank you. Yeah, so it's just – it's so – like I'm so – grateful to the fact or I just find it so fascinating how at the time you don't necessarily realize what leads to what but everything kind of leads leads. to something yeah like if you do things like with intention it all leads to something even if you don't see it in the moment that's so true
1: So then from Teen Vogue, you that's when you
0: landed with Forbes Woman. Yeah. So Teen Vogue. Yeah. So I was doing a lot for Coveter, actually. So for Teen Vogue, I wrote a career-related piece. And then um, – well, one of them was career-related. And then Coveter was a lot of career, like, career-related mm-hmm. ones as well. So, yeah, those were, like, perfect to be able to pitch to Forbes. Um, I pitched three ideas – And the editor was like, love these. You know, when can you – when can you submit the first one? So – What is the process?
1: Like what is the process when you're writing for a Forbes? And also was Forbes one of your kind of dream outlets to write for?
0: Yes. So it was because like I feel like people were paying attention to Forbes women more and more. This was like – this was – 2017. So it's really when, like... At the, like it uh, was timing. It was Yeah, happening. exactly. Like, all the feminist story, yeah. female empowerment stories. The Wing was coming up. Like, The Wing had launched. So yeah. all these, like... Yeah, all these stories were... Coming to yeah. light. Yeah. So... Okay, so Forbes, yeah, I knew, basically, that would be, like, the business publication that I would want, like, for, you know, for... The credibility factor, let's say. Um, so I want to talk about
1: the people that you've interviewed for Forbes. You have honestly interviewed some of my favorite, favorite female founders and some celebrities and just like, I love your your voice and I just love the people that you interview. And I know that you have such, a, you, I don't know what it is that you look for specifically and that's a question for you, but like your mm-hmm. standard for the people that you interview is incredible and impeccable. Um, I'd love Thank to hear, you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd <laughs> love to hear what your process is in vetting and what you look for in Female Founders to feature?
0: Yeah, so that's such a good question um, because of course I get tons of pitches, which I'm super grateful for. But so I would definitely say, well, I was super lucky and still pinching myself about this, but my first my first piece for Forbes, like out the gate was um, Issa Rae. It was like right when season two, I think season two had just ended of Insecure. And actually Issa Rae is like, one of my writer role models, I would say. So that really kind of took my credibility, I guess, or exposure to another level. So um, I would say then, so agency started to pitch to me, but I also was going after the founders who resonated with me most. You know, even Priscilla Tsai from CocoKinds, she was like the first, let's say, female, female founder, mm-hmm. like not in the Issa Rae realm. I mean, not, um not in media, but like first entrepreneur that I interviewed. And a friend of mine actually introduced us because I was a, I was a fan of Coco Kind. So when I, like when I approach people, like let's say uh, Priscilla or any other founders that I've approached, um, it has to be, it has to be authentic to me. Like it has to be a brand who's, Whose values I believe in, that resonate with me, um, a founder who I feel has integrity. So I would never write about a founder or a brand who I felt didn't align with my values. So what are your values? Like what are the things that you are that excite you when you see in a pitch? So yeah, this kind of has happened organically, and I've noticed that thread. Definitely it would be um, integrity and impact. So integrity, what I kind of said is, um, you know, walking anyone who's walking the talk, not just saying they're authentic or kind or have empathy, but actually everything that they do aligns with what they say and and never being a sellout, you know. So integrity is a big one and impact is huge as well. So with, I, I guess those have kind of become my north stars in, in terms of who I write about and and what I write about. So impact can even just be either someone who has a big give back program mm-hmm. or, you know, like anyone who's charitable or making an impact in sustainability, um, making an impact for um, young female founders or like, like the youth. Mm-hmm. And I also – I have two daughters. So anyone who's like um, – yeah, like inspiring – Empowering children. Yeah, and empowering yeah. children 100%. Impact though, like I feel that one of my um, – when I feel that an article is successful or high quality, I I look for impact. So what I mean is like if I change the way – one way a person thinks, even if it's in the smallest way, then I feel that I did a good job. So, you know, I try to say I'm not necessarily an influencer, but, I, but I, I feel that I have influence. Absolutely. So thank you. So, you know, just like a very quick classic example that I always share. One of my Create and Cultivate articles, um, I think it was like my most popular one. It was why just, why the word just is the worst four-letter word. I remember because the word just was always a pet peeve of mine because I started to notice that when you say, I'm just following up or, you know, I just want to check in, you're diminishing your power, right? Like it undermines your message. So I wrote that and people still today, this article came out like over three years ago and people still tell me that they delete the word just. I'm going their- to start deleting the word dress. I'm <laughs> sure I've emailed you that word. So now I'm like, shit, I'm going to go back and see.
1: I mean, it's human nature. <laughs> it's literally human nature to say that. No, but that's but- so true. Like, I'm sure that that resonated with so many people and it's changed the way that or at least been more aware and conscious when they're emailing someone. That's yes. so cool. hundred percent.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, literally, like, that makes my day. Like, when someone tells me that I changed or opened their eyes to even – that small detail, like I, it literally makes my day. Or when someone tells me that um, that they feel that my articles have substance, like I really try, although I feel my tone of voice is light because I feel that I write as I speak in a yeah. way. Um, Which is why I think I like your writing so much. It, just, it, <laughs> it feels you. so genuine and you genuinely love the founders that you're interviewing. Yeah, exactly. And so, so that comes across, like you just, you can't, you can't fake that. A hundred percent. And that's why I say like when people – when when people do pitch me, like I really – I have to love the brand and the founder like you said. Like I genuinely do because I pour my – I feel like I pour my soul into like every story. So yeah, like I don't even feel that it's work. It's just like me sharing the founder's story and why I think what they're doing is so rad. So Yeah. It's actually a really good segue into asking you with your writing. Mm -hmm. And it
1: it doesn't have to be with your work or writing, just in life in general. What would you say is your active ingredient in what you're bringing to the world? Or like in in other words, like what would you say is your deeper purpose with what Mm -hmm. you do?
0: It's so crazy, but I feel um, that this only – this came to me what my active ingredient is. It came to me in September I was on a a trip to New York in September, but – and now – and when I honed in on what it was, everything kind of um, made sense. Anyway, I'll explain why. But – so my active ingredient is voice. Um, So I would say using my voice, um, kind of the paradox of expressing myself. But through my words, so like having a voice but through words, not necessarily speaking, right? So just, you know, having a loud voice, taking up space um, and also giving others like the platform to use their voice as well. So like literally giving, you know, others um, a megaphone in – through my words to to share their message to the world basically. So incredible. And thank you. And it's just – it's crazy, like, um, that – the whole voice thing. Like, I um, – a friend, someone that I, I had met on that work work trip, her name is Alyssa Jacobs, actually. So I just met her through DM, like, mm-hmm. kind of how I met yeah. you. So she living. I think we – she had commented on an article that I wrote, and her aura just vibed with me. Mm-hmm. So we met for a drink in New York, and I was telling her about this stuff, and she almost said – she said that I should think of a shell, like Ariel from Little Mermaid, that I should think of a shell as my kind of icon. Explain. So kind of how Ariel's, like, voice mm-hmm. is, the shell. is in the shell. I love that. And it's like – and I, I think, you know, when I think back to me as a kid, being so shy and introverted, I think now, like – with every... Now that I started to notice that... I started to realize that people are listening to my words, but listening to my words in my writing, that people are listening, noticing, and it's just given me the confidence to get louder and louder. That is... I have goosebumps all over my body because I think that you're hitting it on the nail with people
1: thinking that a voice means that you have a million followers or you're speaking on stages and that you're Tim Ferriss and that whatever. Like... Absolutely not. Every single person has a voice and whatever channel that is that it comes out in, for you, it's writing. Like mm-hmm. that is exactly the message that I'm trying to get to people. Like it's not this idea of being literally the loudest. Like it's it's being impactful about what you do and, and mm-hmm. doing it in the way that resonates with who you are. So I love that it's come full circle for you that like the way that you were as a kid it is – it's kind of the reason why you started writing and that now your words are really, really making such an impact in so many
0: people's lives. Yeah. So incredible. It's it's so crazy because I never thought about it, like, you know, at the time. And then when that, that new friend of mine, Alyssa, when she kind of gave me the visual of the shell, I think it's what happened is that I felt that my voice was trapped in the shell. I was in my own way, basically. I was literally like... Like in my way, just out of fear, I guess. And then it started to come out a bit, come out a bit. And now I feel like I've like become loud as hell. I don't know. <laughs> like now I don't shut up. <laughs> no, let it keep going because I feel like you are, first of all, a kind and good
1: person. So we need more loud people like you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I, I just, I absolutely love what you're doing. And I think that finding your voice by giving other people voices is just such a magical place to be in.
0: Thank you. And it's. Yeah, thank you so much. And, like, so that's why I feel like that my work has impact in that sense. But the crazy thing, not to get woo-woo, but I remember three years ago I interviewed – I was about to interview Kim Kardashian. So just to name drop, that's like (laughs) – that was a huge, huge moment that was at Create and Cultivate. Interviewed Kim Kardashian in person when she launched her – the fragrance line. And I remember I met with um, a hair – like kind of a shaman – Mm -hmm. Um, let's say she's a shaman. She, I was telling her I was about to interview Kim Kardashian the next day and she gave me, um, a a crystal. I think it's a lapis lazuri. Uh, Anyway, I think that's what, but basically it was a crystal for my throat chakra. And she was like, she's like, carry this crystal with you when you're interviewing Kim and it's going to like give, um, strength in your voice. And I only remembered that like a few weeks ago that that she maybe sensed that my voice you had a was, blockage in your voice. Yeah, I had a blockage, or maybe I was kind of like hesitant. But I feel like I feel like I've always kind of hesitated and second guessed, and now my voice feels stronger. Like I'm not; it's more assertive. What advice would you give to someone who might feel that right now? Who might feel like a little bit
1: blocked or fearful and, like, they know somewhere in them that they have a voice but might not know how to channel that, what advice would you give to someone to to work that muscle?
0: I would literally just say, like, take baby steps, like, in whatever mode of expression... Uh, resonates with you. So whether it's Instagram or Instagram stories or um, Tumblr, I don't know, or art, like however you express yourself, because it's so funny. I feel that a lot of people who there's like some of the biggest bloggers in the world are introverts. So whatever makes sense to you, or maybe it's photography. Also, I think there's so many different things you can do. Like I'm not someone who would necessarily speak in my Instagram stories, But I've seen a lot of people like you can just story on mute, but write, you know, just write your thoughts and like as if you were speaking. So I would say like don't get hung up on the details Mm -hmm. and the how. Just, you know, just take those baby steps and like – and just keep going on whatever feels good. Use your gut almost. But it has to feel good. And also it's okay if you're out of your comfort zone. Like I think – you know, I was, like, terrified the first few times I interviewed people like Kim Kardashian in person. i was <laughs> I'm it's sure. terrifying. or speaking on a panel. But when you literally just do it, like, you know, once or twice, like, it's just practice. Great advice.
1: The point of the Active Ingredient Podcast is obviously to interview people like you that I feel have found – their voice or their active ingredient. But a lot of people are listening that may be wanting to switch careers or pivot or completely like try something new, but they don't even know what those first steps are. They don't know what to ask themselves. What advice would you give to someone who's a little bit lost right now that is wanting to figure out what it is that fulfills them?
0: So I think, okay, I think about this a lot. And I would say, um, first of all, it's very glamorized today, right, like for your passion to be your paycheck and, you know, for your side hustle to be your full-time gig. And I don't think that has to be the case. So, you know, it's okay, like if you're working your full-time job, um, which is comfortable and you're happy there, you know, um, and then just do what fulfills you on the side. Like, But how how would you help someone figure out what fulfills them? Because like, I feel like a lot of
1: times, like when it's such a loaded thing to say. Like what fulfills you that's so big,
0: you know? Well, a lot of the things I've read, they say kind of how you ask how were you as a child, but they say that what you did in your spare time as a child is usually an indicator, right, of your you're hitting your on so many people have said that on the podcast too. Yeah. yeah, I think I've heard that actually. Yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing and it's so true like because it's it's you as a child without limitations, without restrictions. So maybe think back to that. And I also think, like, just think about what has brought you joy. I also think today, you know, this is something else. Like, you don't have to figure out your passion right away. Like, I don't think that your purpose, I don't think your career has to be your purpose, basically. Like, I think it's lovely if it is. And I think it, you know, you could be... Like I said, like, you could have one career and then, like, totally pivot and have a third act. So, right? Like – That's why a lot of the time
1: I ask, like, what is your active ingredient now? Because I do think that it shifts through life. Like, you, we completely change as human beings every so often and and that can definitely shift. But I think it's, it's – what you're saying is so helpful to, like, just have a moment to think back to the things that actually bring you joy and see how you can incorporate that into your day-to-day.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And also don't, like, now someone who works um, as a freelancer that I miss, like, um, human interaction daily. So I would say also, like, think about other things in your work that, that bring joy that might not necessarily be your passion. But if you love your team and the people you work with, like, that's a huge benef- work benefit that I think people don't talk about enough. Like So true. But it's, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't take it for granted, like, having your work wives and your, you know, the people you speak with every day and, like. Yeah. So it, it's, I think it's, like, a big, it's something I kind of, like, I do miss the most. Yeah. About, so that's why, like, I, I appreciate seeing people like you and, like, coming to New York um, and, like, yeah, kind of catching yeah. up with everyone. But I, yeah, I would just say that don't stress about it. Like I really, I think we all need to like let go of what is my purpose, you know? Like it's so stressful. So that's actually
1: a good segue into asking you what advice would you give to someone who is not in New York to break into writing? Because Mm -hmm. we do have a lot of New York listeners, but a lot of people are from all over the place. And I feel like a lot of people have the thought that you have to be in New York to make it as a writer. Um, would love to hear your thoughts on how to circumvent the New York rent.
0: <laughs> yeah, so okay, yeah. Also something I think about all the time. So like I said, I New York is literally my soulmate. So that's like the very Carrie Bradshaw thing, but New York has always been my love, let's mm-hmm. say. So I I had always wanted to live here and I don't like to your point. Um and now I'm finally coming to terms with that because I realize that I can have the best of both worlds. So I think there's just no limitation, right? Like you can be a digital nomad. You can be writing in Bali mm-hmm. and be writing for Conde Nast Traveler or anywhere. Yeah. So this, like to me, there's literally no boundaries. There's no limitations. Um, like you said, you're not paying New York rent. It's really the, the best of both worlds. And actually, someone said this to me last week, because the whole, how I, how I just said before, how your job doesn't have to be, your career doesn't have to be your purpose. Mm-hmm. Someone opened my eyes to, about this, that my New York, like my life in New York and my life in Montreal, Canada could still coexist. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to live in New York in order to do what I'm doing. Someone said that to me and I was like, yeah, you're right. Like the same way your career doesn't have to be your purpose, you don't have to be in the location – you know, in that location yeah. to be fulfilling your dream. That's a huge sigh of relief for a lot of people
1: listening. A hundred What advice would you give to someone who's trying to break into into media living elsewhere? Like you're, you're, what your point is, is that it doesn't matter. Like you can just no. pitch it as – Yeah.
0: So pitch – okay. So pitch to editors. Also go to conferences like – you know, create and cultivate girl boss, the ones that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, definitely go to conferences and also join I actually I didn't mention this, but I joined Dreamers and Doers, which is like a huge huge um like female female community, but if you join those kind of it's based in New York, but it's totally global, and that actually opened a lot of doors for me in terms of like in terms of networking. So, if you there's so many of those kind of communities right now. Um like digital communities mm-hmm. that are on fa- like Facebook exclusive. If you're looking to break into New York or media in general, I would just join even one one of those communities, like I said, and really you can state your goal and say, I want to break more into media. Like who's here that I can who whose brain can I pick? Or I love that tangible. Tip. Yeah, yeah. Like Dreamers and Doers has been a huge, huge I've never heard of them thing. actually. I need to Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And also just like connect with people, you know, like. I think that's the fear, right? I think that people think that people connect in either New York or
1: LA in media specifically just because like the headquarters are in both of them. But I think that now there's no real limitation on connecting with people. Like Uh you and I had a relationship over DM for a long time before we actually met in person.
0: And I was going to say also in terms of Instagram, like I think cultivate a relationship whether it's on Instagram or whatever, any social media, but really like cultivate a relationship and show that you like notice what the person's doing, like, and that you appreciate, like, that you're a fan of whatever a person's doing. And just, you know, it's just like a good way to kind of cultivate a friendship or relationship so that when you, if let's say you are traveling to New York or LA or wherever, like, then you can say, oh, can we, you know, would love to grab a quick coffee, mm-hmm. whatever. It's not like out of left field. Right um so just you know not trying to like come out of your shell let's say on social and and connect cuz really i i one of like my sayings also is like that my network is my net worth i have literally i just feel like the relationships i've cultivated has been everything to me like it's literally part of like my equity so like it's a huge so huge, valuable yeah and also everybody thinks that I'm from New York. So, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> whatever. Like, Let them
0: think what they want to think. Yeah. So there's like, you know, there's literally no boundaries. Yeah. And I also, like I said, I, I have two, I have two daughters, and I love that they can see that like that I can do what I'm doing from anywhere. Like So true. I never yeah, thought about that. Yeah. Like I really don't want to operate from like I'm trying to operate from like a place of abundance. And also, like, no limits. Just... Love that. Yeah. Love that. That And also live with urgency. That's so... Bozema St. John has been saying that recently. I mean, I think she's always said that. But after Kobe two weeks ago, she started to repeat it more and more on her Instagram. And I've... And that resonates with me so much that, like... I love her. (laughs) Yeah, like, love her so much. Like, she actually, like, knows who I am, which is... Crazy, so cool. like I'm. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally obsessed. But that's so with true
1: to like live from a place of abundance and not fear. For those that are not living in a place that they think that the opportunity is there, like the opportunity is there. You just yeah. have to seek it.
0: Yeah, you have to seek it. And also, like to repeat what I said. What I said just about that it takes one yes. Like so, whenever you know, and that goes like in every aspect of your life. Like one, thing – I want to like
1: start saying amen. <laughs>
0: Yeah. it's just, Freaking men. So like, yeah. don't get bogged down or overwhelmed by like, I'm not getting, you know, people aren't responding. Because also in the edit- editorial world now, there's so much turnover. And try to also remember like, like when I would get, you know, I've had editors ghost me, let's say, or, you know, I would never hear back, like from a, about a pitch. But like, I also try to, I don't take it personally. I try to realize like, that editor is answering also to their boss and their boss's, but bo- like yeah. they're going through a million emails, so that's enough. Not take things personally, yeah. Like I don't take it personally, yeah. and just keep like literally just keep going. Yeah. What is next for your voice? Like, what would you say is the
1: next milestone that you want to reach? Are you very much living in the now right now? Because your now is pretty freaking awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. The next one like is is to write a book. Like, I yeah. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely, like, that's... Your About You has to be the same one from your eight-year-old book. Oh, yeah. No, it will. Like, it's crazy that I refound that and I will show you the picture and... No, I need to post it on the gram. Yeah, 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 100%. Okay. Like, it's so crazy. And I just... Um, what's Is the book going to be career advice or... Yeah, I would see it as career advice, almost like memoir slash... Um, Like, memoir – I mean, I'm 41, but memoir sounds – Every time. I, like, really just can't believe it. Like, you really (laughs) look so good. Thank you. (laughs) So memoir slash compilation of, like, career advice. Amazing. Of, like, of women I've interviewed. So – Yeah. It's like I'm literally just speaking that into existence. (laughs) I I just posted a (laughs) picture of a dog that I want because I'm trying to speak
1: that dog into existence. So I'm here for it. Like, let's say it. Universe, listen to the book idea. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to happen.
0: Thank you. And actually, one thing I want to add that um, a good friend – of so I interviewed Kin. um, It's the jewelry brand. Mm. And so I – Also kind of befriend, I become friends with everyone I interview, which I think is because I am an authentic fan of everyone I interview, Mm -hmm. right? So Kin, the jewelry brand, uh, the founder is Jenny Jenny Yoon. And so I wrote about her. And I remember I saw her in New York last year. And she said to me, so this is exactly a year ago. And she said to me, um, Corinne, she's like, I love all your writing. She's like, but when are you going to tell your story and I was like, oh, interesting. That's how I felt about you. I'm like, I want to hear about you.
1: Like you talk about all <laughs> these you. amazing female founders, but I want to understand your story. So I, I hear that and I'm so here for this book. So
0: thank you. I always close out the
1: podcast by asking a kind of lighter question. Mm-hmm. What is your literal active ingredient? Meaning like something that you have to do, consume, eat every single day to get yourself going.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's super easy. Coffee. Okay. <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, so three coffees a day. Three, yeah. Okay. Two in the mor- one right when I wake up. I wake up at like five, five ish. Wow. Coffee right away. Literally, no one dare talk to me before that first cup. <laughs> then second cup, like whatever. Let's say nine or ten a.m. And then the third cup always in the afternoon. And I do not like decaf. Does nothing for me. I can have a cappuccino at eleven p.m. and still fall asleep. Oh my god! It's in your veins. Yeah, <laughs> where can everyone yeah. follow you and follow your work um, so on my Instagram um, for now until I have a website <laughs> so at always Kareen so always and um, K-A-R-I-N and I always link to I always have like my latest Forbes articles up on the link bio situation so amazing
1: thank you so much for being on the podcast this was thank so you. fun and insightful thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for having me
1: Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you can take two seconds of your time to rate and review us, it would really mean the world and help us out a ton. If you guys want more inspiration and quotes from the episode, you can check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.